We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. There's no doubt our Lord is at work when we hear about the marvelous ways He reaches down and intervenes in the lives of people. One such unforgettable testimony of amazing grace comes today from our returning featured guest, a former member of a workspace religion who found freedom in Jesus Christ and citizenship in heaven. Joining us now to give us a peek into his newly released book, Michael Wilder. Michael, we want to start off by welcoming you back to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures and congratulating you on the publication of your book, Passport to Heaven. Thank you so much, Paul and Tabitha. I, I'm, I'm so honored to be here with you again. I, I, I love you both and, uh, and the light you shine for the gospel and for the podcast and ministry that God's given you. It's just a, a wonderful uh, blessing to be here. We applaud your, the dedication and skill it took to reach this achievement, and we're excited to see how the Lord will continue to use your story in the days ahead. You know, Passport to Heaven is a bold and catchy title. What is the inspiration behind it? Well, Passport to Heaven kind of has uh, duality and meaning, um, because when I was a Latter-day Saint, you know, I was putting my, my emphasis and my hope for salvation, not only in what Jesus did, but also in my own works. And part of those works was actually a, a worthiness that I had to attain by faithfully following the, the commandments and moral codes of my religion. And I actually had a piece of paper. Uh, it was a physical uh, document that stated that I was worthy to enter into the presence of God and worthy to go to the temple. And so that was kind of my passport, if you will, to heaven. It was the, the indication of my worthiness to enter into the kingdom of God. And of course, my journey and my story is that I came to realize that my works and my righteousness and my goodness was never going to be uh, sufficient for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but that Jesus Christ fulfilled um, the work on my behalf through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I came to realize that Jesus himself is actually my passport to heaven, and through his blood, I can gain entrance into eternal life. Amen. Michael, we've had the privilege of visiting with you and your family on a couple of occasions, and we're somewhat familiar with your testimony. But in reading your book, we learned a great deal more about what it's like growing up in a devout Mormon family. Among the points that touched our hearts was your heart for God. You, just like so many of us, looked up to heroes of the faith like King David. What was it about the life of David that grips you? Yeah, so when I was a child, um, I, I actually attended a private Baptist school and I remember one day at school, I was probably four, five, six years old, and I heard the story of David. But it wasn't just the story of David and Goliath. It was more centered on David's relationship with God. And I remember my teacher used the phrase that he used in Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. And I don't know what it was about that 
that kind of made me jealous. And the reason why it made me jealous is because I knew that David had a special relationship with God. I knew that he had favor with God. And it almost, it planted within me this this desire to want to have what David had. And that was an intimate relationship with God, with my creator. And so it kind of set this, this you know, this impetus for me to to want to know God more deeply. And so even as a young child, I began to kind of emulate, you know, David's relationship with God within my own life. Hmm. Were you encouraged by your Mormon teachers to follow David's example? Well, yeah, that's what's interesting is what I was taught at my Baptist school was actually very um, antithetical to what I was taught in, in Sunday school as a Mormon and their, their viewpoints on David were very different. So at school and right, even through the Bible, I was taught that David was forgiven of his sins and that God loved him. And in fact, his name means beloved, but at church, I was actually taught that David was not forgiven of the sins of murder and adultery and that he is not in right standing with God, and he is still paying a heavy price for his sins. And I remember having a difficult time, you know, balancing that in my mind and kind of determining, well, what is the right viewpoint on David? Because I I compared myself to David in that I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I made mistakes. I knew that my heart wasn't always right. And I sought God's forgiveness. And and I kind of felt... um, a little disheartened that if David wasn't forgiven, then what hope was there for me? And so it kind of, you know, caused me to to begin to wonder, you know, what was God's relationship with me? What was God's relationship with mankind? And how could I have, you know, forgiveness that I was being taught in church that David did not have? Young men in the LDS church are strongly encouraged to serve two years as Mormon missionaries. How does one prepare for that? Yeah, so preparing for a mission is a very rigorous um, process, and you know, you're 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 essentially making yourself worthy for the opportunity to go out and to represent Jesus Christ. That's what we were taught as missionaries, and so um, we did a lot of kind of spiritual preparation. So reading the scriptures, praying, uh, serving within you know whatever capacity we were called to serve in the church. Um, and certainly following very strict moral codes and commandments within uh, the the LDS religion. And so we really did everything that we could to try to make ourselves outwardly righteous um, and prepare ourselves in that way. And I remember personally, you know, I, I would attend the temple a lot and I would just, uh, you know, try to do everything that I could to make myself, uh, you know, worthy of this opportunity to go out and to be a missionary. How will it be determined where someone would serve on their mission? Prior to going on a mission, you actually submit uh, papers, right, Mm -hmm. uh, to the Mormon headship. And essentially they determine where you serve your two-year mission. So you don't have uh, a choice in this process. You are basically commanded to trust that the leaders of the church are being inspired by God to send you wherever God wants you to go. And so wherever that is, you're supposed to be faithful and obedient. Uh, to to that location that you're going to be go going for two years. Wow! Yeah. Describe an average day as a missionary. Yeah, so the missionary lifestyle is very regimented. Um, it's very kind of military-like in that uh, we had to get up at 6.30 every morning. Uh, we had a very strict schedule. We would eat breakfast, exercise, 
uh, do our studies, and then we would go out and proselytize essentially until nine o'clock at night. Uh, we had a short lunch break, a short dinner break, and the rest of the time we were supposed to be finding, you know, creative ways to uh, engage with people, encounter people on the streets, knock on people's doors in order to, you know, convert them to the church. And uh, and then after we got home at nine o'clock at night, we would then uh, go through an accountability system where we re- report to our leadership right the happenings of the day. And then we had just a little bit of personal time right before bed. And then we had to go to bed at 10.30 p.m. And then we'd get up in the morning and do it all over again. And we did that every day for two years. Phew, that takes commitment. (laughs) (laughs) How did people generally respond to you? Yeah, so most people, they didn't really want to engage with us. So most people would um, avoid having to talk to us. Uh, so if we were, you know, walking on the sidewalk, people would, you know, go to the other side of the street. I mean, if people were outside in their yards, they would go inside their home and close the garage door and, uh, knocking on people's doors. I mean, I I would say 99 out of a hundred wouldn't let us into their homes and, and the overwhelming majority just didn't really treat us with, with very much, much kindness or respect. Uh, A lot of people uh, were, were very rude to us. So that was one of the challenges of being a missionary was was learning how to cope with daily rejection, you know, on that level. And you got to think, I mean, I was a 19-year-old kid. I mean, Mormon missionaries now even start their missions at 18. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a very difficult thing emotionally, uh, you know, to endure that type of rejection on a daily basis. So that was certainly a challenge for me early on in my mission. As you say in your book, one of the most significant conversations you had was a, with a Baptist pastor. Would you summarize that for us and tell us how that ended up changing the course of your life? Yeah. So about four months into my mission, I uh, engaged with a Baptist pastor named Alan Benson. And uh, I, I was I was very zealous for my faith. And I, I, I guess I had enough confidence in myself that I thought that I could con- convince and convert a Baptist minister to Mormonism. <laughs> um, and so we engaged with, with him. Um, and he's very, he's a wonderful man. And the thing that really stuck out to me about him was that he he didn't treat me like most other people treated me. And what I mean by that is that he was very gracious. He was very kind. He was very respectful. Um, and he didn't, you know, reject us immediately. He actually was, was very open in inviting us in and giving us the opportunity to to have a dialogue with him. And I think that that was such a wonderful example um, of love, of compassion, and also of an openness and a willingness to to see us and want to engage with us and want to have a dialogue with us and to want to share the gospel with us. And so um, through this man, I, I heard the gospel uh, for the first time in my life. And, uh, and, and the challenge that he gave me after he shared the gospel with me was that he invited me to go read the Bible and to go to the source and in particular to read the New Testament like a child. Uh, was the phrase that he used. And I don't think I totally understood what that meant at the time, um, but I now know he was he was essentially inviting me to approach the Word of God without preconceived notions, right? Mm-hmm. Removing the things that I had been taught by my religious leaders, by my parents, and to just trust God through his word and to take his word at face value and to approach it as a child with their father seeking to be taught and allowing God through his word 
to show me the truth. And so it was a very, a very unique challenge. And uh, it's a challenge that, that I have since given probably to thousands of people um, because of how profound it was that, that sometimes I think that we take for granted the power of the Word of God. And I think Pastor Benson had the wisdom and the foresight to understand that he wasn't, he wasn't going to convince me and he wasn't going to convert me, um, but he knew that the Word of God could, could impact me and, and could change my heart and, and ultimately change my life. And so he set me right to the source, and I think that that's such a, such a wise thing to do. Um, that the word of God, it says in, in Hebrews chapter four, it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I, I think that if we can point people to the source and right to the word of God, it's, it's amazing that that word does not return void and, and can you know, ultimately change the hearts and lives of, of people. Once you made your newfound faith in Christ public, how did those closest to you respond? Well, it was different for different people, um, and and it was such a slow process of me coming to know the true and saving gospel through the Word of God that um, I, I was kind of imparting tidbits right to my family and my friends, even my girlfriend, as I was going through this process. So, for my girlfriend, um, as an example, like she was very open to. Uh, what I was sharing with her and the things that I was communicating with her that I was learning through the Word of God. And so she was very receptive um, to the message of the gospel um, to the point where she herself began to really read the Word of God through the eyes of a child and eventually came to salvation um, through through reading the Word of God. So uh, my brother and my sister, uh, they were also very receptive. I, I think that... Um, they had been prepared and and God had been working on their hearts. And so when I publicly shared my faith and kind of came forward to them about what I believed and why, I think that they were very open to investigating that through scripture. And uh, both my, my brother and sister began, you know, very faithfully studying the word of God um, and also were both saved and came to um, a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, my parents, uh, they were maybe a little bit less receptive, uh, but I think rightfully so. I mean, they had so much of their lives and even their livelihoods and jobs and careers and professions were, were invested into right their standing in the church. And I, so, and I think for them, like having raised us in the church and, and invested, you know, so much of their lives and time trying to uh, teach their children these doctrines and principles of the, of the Latter-day Saint faith, I think it was a hard thing for them from a pride standpoint, you know, to even want to investigate that the things that they had been teaching us their, our entire lives was not, in fact, uh, truth. Um, but I think more than anything, they were curious. Uh, and so they ended up accepting my invitation to read the Bible um, I think more out of curiosity than anything else. And ultimately through the word of God, their eyes were opened and they also came to salvation. Now, as far as, you know, my friends and Michigan companions and other people, uh, it, it varies. There were some of them that were receptive and some that were very unreceptive. I mean, many of those relationships um, have been severed permanently, uh, you know, even 15 years ago. 
when I came public with my faith in Christ. Uh, most of my uh, best friends from high school, from college, from my mission, uh, you know, strong relationships that I had for a long time have been completely severed uh, as a result of my, my newfound faith. Um, and, you know, I just pray for them. I pray that they will come to know the grace of God in the way that, that I have. Yeah. A moment ago, we, we touched on the life of David. As a believer now, have you made new observations of him that reflect that nature of our Savior and inspire you in your walk with Christ? Yeah, so one of the things I learned on my mission was that the name David means beloved. And so beloved is something that it's a standing with God that I always wanted, right? And and what was amazing to me is I read scripture and as God was opening my eyes to the gospel of Christ, I realized like God's love is so immense, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And all of a sudden I realized that David's not unique. David is a picture of God's love to humanity. He's a picture of God's love in Christ, in that God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins so that through Christ we can be beloved, right? We can be forgiven. We can be like David and have favor with God, not based on our goodness or our righteousness, but based on the work of Christ alone. Mm. And so that was kind of a, a, a huge and important revelation for me was recognizing that, you know, David wasn't some special calling, that, that, that to be like David was to be somebody who didn't deserve forgiveness and yet was still given the grace of God anyway because of what Christ had done. And so it totally changed my perception and my understanding of David because I recognized that and, and, and just like David, I was deserving of condemnation. I was deserving of death and hell. I, I myself was a murderer and adulterer based on Jesus' standards in the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, God's love was so great that he had seen fit to send Jesus to pay that full penalty for my sins so that by faith in him, I could be redeemed, I could be forgiven, I could be called beloved. Neat. What do you hope readers will take away from your book? When I wrote this book, I really wanted it to to impact different people at different points. So, for example, I wrote this because I want Mormons to read it, and I want Mormons to take away from this, number one, that there is power in the Bible, there is power in the Word of God, and to encourage them to go to the Word of God seeking for truth, and two, to come to recognize that there is a sufficiency and a supremacy found in Christ that cannot be found anywhere else. And the Mormon church and no amount of works or righteousness or anything else can ever add to the perfect and completed work of Jesus. To believers, I hope that this book is an encouragement that God's grace and his love and his arms of compassion are are so far reaching that they found me when I was a Mormon missionary. And to give hope to Christians all over the world that God can rescue people that we maybe sometimes don't think God can rescue. And so I think so many Christians encounter Mormon missionaries, Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and we don't engage with them, and we don't even give them the opportunity to hear the, the, the truth of the gospel because we don't believe in our hearts that God can save them, or we're too worried about how they're going to respond, right, or what they're going to say. And yet, my testimony is evidence that, that God can save a Mormon mission. I mean, he could save anybody 
anywhere at any time, and just an encouragement to the body of Christ to be bold and loving witnesses, go out and to fulfill the Great Commission by sharing the gospel to all of creation. Unbelievers uh, or, or atheists, for example, um, skeptics, you know, to investigate what the Word of God has to say, you know, to investigate why I put so much faith and trust in the Bible and to be encouraged to know that God is working individually and intimately in our lives, that he, he does know us, He does call us by name, He does love us, and Jesus Christ is the evidence of that love, and that if we trust in Him, then we can have eternal life. Where can our audience find more about your ministry and your new book? So our ministry is called Adam's Road, and our website is adamsroadministry.com. Actually, excitingly enough, we're getting ready to go on a four-month tour all over the United States uh, beginning in mid-June. And so if you go to our website and look at our calendar, uh, there's a good chance that we may be somewhere near your area. We'll be all over the U.S. from the Northwest to the Southwest to the Midwest to the Northeast to the Southeast to Texas, and we'll be pretty much everywhere. And so we really encourage you to check that out. Uh, and if you're able to come hear our testimonies in person, we would love to meet you. Um, you can also find all of our music on our website, adamjoeministry.com. We have 10 full-length studio albums. All of our music is free. Uh, we offer it free to the world. And so we ask you and invite you to get on there and check that out. You can buy the book, Passport to Heaven, anywhere books are sold. Uh, PassportToHeavenBook.com uh, also has information about the book. And I just hope that it's, it's an encouragement to people uh, in the grace of God. Thank you. We certainly encourage all of you, our dear listeners, to check out those links both on our website, in the show notes, and on our Facebook page, BVHT Podcast. Uh, Micah, Tabitha, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book, Passport to Heaven. We pray your book will challenge and uplift others, just as it has us. Thank you for sharing your, your heart with us. Thank you for having me, and thank you again. I, I thank God for your ministry and, uh, and the encouragement that you give people to put all your hope in Christ alone. Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org. 